0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? No. Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were and you I, wearing Liederhausen? I uh, was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> definitely was. And I was drinking Steins of beer. And I just got this overwhelming... Need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to Hausenberg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> and so so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer mm-hmm. and I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this duchy that I've got.
1: Wait, were you in Canada or were you in the US?
0: Well, I was in North America. I was somewhere. It's not important exactly Okay. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So, guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach Lapointe. Mach Lapointe. I just yep. got onto Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful.
1: wonderful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, then I'm out training this duchy mm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. duchy that I got from House Amberg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then- I was training in a dog park because that's how I train. Mm -hmm. And there were some people and they had some sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. And uh, fancy that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't want to. I'm a dog park daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I said, fuck you. I don't want to, but I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia while you're at work and will do like a little bit of training session with your dog while you're gone.
1: No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was
0: Melanie Benway. I was talking about Kindred Canine. So I gave those details anyway. So I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this duchy. Mm -hmm. and then I had to come back to Australia and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs,
1: harnesses, dog mills, blah, 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 blah. Bullfed Central. Ironswick dog quip. Ironswick bullfed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Amberg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crepe pill by the Buffed. wow einwickcom I' aer I' yeah Ainswina.
1: Ains, yeah so after your dream when you woke up did you wake up with a boner you've ruined it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined kind of in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Well, we're in each
1: other's studios.
0: Yeah. So we're in studios,
1: just not the same studio. It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Like we were just remarking while we were getting ready to go that we haven't seen each other for like literally two weeks. It's crazy. I miss you. I miss you too. Yeah, it's been weird. It isn't the same when we're not in the room together and we can sort of just banter a little bit first and go through a bit of a warm-up and then get ready and sit down and do a bit of, you know, shit talking for five minutes and then turn the mics on and get going.
0: Yeah, and then go, hey, stop, stop, stop. This is what we need to be talking about. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, before we get Absolutely. kicking off, what I did want to say to you, which I actually didn't mention in our preamble shit talking, is how much feedback, not only through social media, but just in comments and emails and so forth, and even the man in the street who's coming up and talking to me about episodes in podcasts, there is so much talk about Haley and Scout. Yeah. You're getting it too?
0: No, I just see it on Instagram. Like I've had mm. a few people talk to me about it, probably no more than, you know, another episode, but I see it. I guess we see a lot of it because they're, she's active on Instagram and I guess people are like, that's the sphere in which we see the feedback for it. But there's been a lot of feedback, right? I think a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, our audience, a lot of dog trainers start out in that space where mm. they've got dog that's difficult and is their learning platform. And I think that most people- if they're not currently going through something like that can remember when they were, or, you know, I think a lot of people probably are referring like, I, oh well, I know for sure that a lot of professionals are referring that episode to their clients mm. to be like, you're not the only person doing this. I guess it feels quite isolating. You know, I think we spoke about that with her, that when you see people with these dogs that are just living their easy dream life and you don't have that dog, it can be quite isolating to think, you know, like, why don't I have that? Why aren't I like that? And, you know, it's not like you can or you should put a bunch of problematic dogs together. So it's not like there's meetups for the people who have the problematic dogs, right? So I guess it is quite isolating. So to know that that's happening to other people and find comfort in that is, you know, probably a good thing that people are doing through the show, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the real take-home messages of it. And there's at least half a dozen or more uh, like strong messages in there where people were saying, I really thought that I was alone in this. I really thought that I was a loser and that I effectively screwed my dog up until I saw that episode and listened to what Haley was saying about Scout and realized that not only is she there with her dog and I'm here with my dog, but there are so many other people around the world occupying that space with their dogs that we're not alone and we are part of – it's not so much of a movement, but it's we, we are – existing and we are all having problems but we don't have to feel like we're all we've all failed our dogs we've just got to realize this is a process and it's an unfortunate process at some stage and it's a stressful process but nonetheless it's one that can be successful because Haley's story was very much about a hopeful progress that you can actually make with your dog and sharing with people that it's a story based on incrementally being successful throughout that program and talking to the right people and meeting the right people and mentoring under the right people and, you know, taking the time that needs to be taken in order to resolve the issue that the dog is going through, but not only the dog, the handler as well. The handler is getting an education and the dog is getting the therapy that it requires. And I really feel, I guess, a sense of, happiness for our community, that there are a lot of people out there who have seen that and it really did strike a chord with them.
0: Yeah. I think situations like that are kind of tricky as well because, you know, as a trainer, there's lots that you can do for a dog like that. But when it's based on a trust relationship with the handler, whatever you do is kind of not that helpful. You know, like with that situation and many, many more like it, a board and train is going to have limited success with that dog yeah right because it's got to learn to cohabit with her and the handler like let's stop talking about them specifically but you know people in that same situation so it's tricky because there's limited help you can get like you really do have to immerse yourself at that time Mm. and figure out the process that what a trainer would do and be able to implement that yourself and I think as trainers, it can be really easy cause you know, we had some odd feedback about it and it can be really easy to look at that and go like, you know, you should be doing this, this and this. And it's like, yeah, but like there's not a trainer. So they're on the learning journey of that. 10 years in, you'll look back and go, oh, I can't believe I was doing I was doing that. And why didn't I just do this, this and this? But you're not, the, not at that point yet. And so you gotta try and source that information and get aggregate it and put it together in a way that you can use it and make it your own and implement it to the dog. So it's a, it's a tricky time. It's um, you know good for them for coming on with us, good for her for doing it, and uh, it's good that we can help other people through it. I like it.
1: You had a good little key phrase in there that they're not a trainer. That's the one thing that people have really got to take away from that is this is a person who went and got a dog and – suddenly realized, holy shit, there's something wrong with this relationship and it's not working out. And they're not somebody who can just go, oh, I know what to do because, you know, like I've been working on dogs through my business or in my kennel or anything like this. They're just going, what the hell's happening here? Like this is not the fairy tale that I thought that I was going into. This is absolutely a disaster where, you know, people are looking at me for all the wrong reasons and how do I mitigate through this now? So I'm really proud of Haley that she wanted to come on the show and share that story. And, you know, it also reminded me, seeding into Michael Shikashio's discussion on when he did 80, 800 sessions with somebody, I think it was. 80 or 800? 80? I can't eight remember. 8 million, I think it was. I eight think million? it was 8 million seasons. Yeah. 8 billion episodes. <laughs> 8 <laughs> trillion.
0: No one does <laughs> more sessions. No one does them. No one does it. It's impossible. He does the most.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So whatever the amount he did, I think, yeah, it was, let's say 80. And I think a few people were getting up in arms about the fact that he did 80 sessions with with dogs or wanted to discuss it with him, not so much up in arms about it, but Wanted to discuss it with him because they were curious about it. But, you know, it was a client that needed that amount of time. They, you know, they had the money to spare. They were getting something out of it. You know, they might have enjoyed Michael coming around to work with their dog and just take the dog for walks and do small amounts of things. But yep. I sort of say to that concept, stiff shit, you know, like if that person wants you to come around and help them and this is helping their relationship and their joy of owning the dog and being a part of the network of having that dog, who fucking cares? Yeah, like exactly. I, I think that's awesome really. So good on you, Michael yeah. and, and Haley, And thanks for being guests on the show too. It was really good feedback on both episodes. Yeah.
0: Hey, i got a topic. Great. A couple of weeks ago, This is how long it's been since we've recorded an episode. Mm. A couple of weeks ago, we're sitting around at home, watching Lego Masters, the only good show on TV. And uh, (laughs) the dogs are just in the house, right? Yep. And my dogs, because I don't like train in the house, we try to go for lower arousal in the house. They have toys, Mm. but they're their toys, I don't really interact with them. And with most of the toys that we have, we have two so that they can have one each, even though that kind of never happens, but there's two of most things. So I've got uh, two of these, the go nuts, right? Which is like Mm. a relatively destructible toy. And I've got the dildo shaped ones, right? It's just like a, (laughs) I mean, there's no better way to describe it. It's just this tube of rubber. Anyway, so Remy's laying on the floor and he's got one of these go nuts like right in front of him. And he notices as he's laying on the floor that there's another one that's under the couch so he kind of shimmies over to the couch and he starts pouring at and whining and trying to get that nut out from under the couch and he's in a real pickle right because you know it's under the couch and he is only allowed to express a certain amount of drive in the house so like if that was under your couch He would just light up the chainsaw in his face and go through your couch and get the go-nut, right? And that would be wonderful. But he knows he can't do that at my house. And so he knows he can't destroy the couch. There's a limited amount of drive that he's allowed to express before he'll get put outside. So he's trying to keep himself below threshold while pouring at and crying and trying to get under the couch to get this go-nut right? And it's beyond his reach. He's never going to catch it. He's never going to be able to reach in there and get it, but he's crying and he's pouring at it. And I'm looking at him because the other one is right there. It's right there on the floor, right? And they're identical. There's no difference. I mean, there's probably some minor scent difference that the dog can tell, but they're good enough,
1: right? And so he's- No, no, no. You've at- you missed the point. He's already got that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is the thing. So He's pouring at it, and it goes on for like three or five minutes or something and before I get sick of it. And I go like, okay, this is annoying. I'm trying to watch Lego Masters. And so I go over and I reach under the couch and I pull it out and I hand it to him. And you've never seen a look of disgust on a dog's face like when I <laughs> handed, it. And he just, he took it because like kind of reflexively took it off me. And then it just dropped to the floor next to the other one and he walked away, right? And it was extremely clear in that moment he never wanted it Mm. he didn't to have it he's not possessive in that way he had the identical product like right there he could have gotten without the effort but he wanted the effort Mm. right and he he enjoyed that level of frustration and it was interesting to me because the day earlier or two days earlier some lady in clubhouse had gone mental at bill church for saying that you could use frustration to like help a dog get into a crate and she had gone there's no you know why would you ever intentionally frustrate a dog Mm. was probably a breakdown in communication about that and that's all fair enough and they they sorted that out but i thought it was interesting to discuss that sort of low level frustration and the effects that it has on people and dogs and clearly in that circumstance my dog was comfortable in that level of frustration. Like that's where he wanted to be. He 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 didn't actually want the thing that he was going for. He had definitely other ways. If he wanted to get it, he could have done that, but that would have been breaking the rules and he mm. didn't want to do that. So he was very comfortable in that annoyance, low level of frustration. And I've also heard you know brain scientists talk about this kind of thing where there's there's experiments they do they've only done this to people like who have epilepsy because it requires them to sort of cut off the top of your skull and expose parts of your brain so they don't do this as a standalone experiment they do it when you are getting other surgery on the brain and it's like they put these electrodes in your brain and there's a series of buttons in front of you and you can push any of the buttons and it will make you feel a certain way only they don't tell you which one of those buttons it is right so you can hit the buttons and it will immediately stimulate the region of your brain that's responsible for making you feel a certain way mm-hmm. and you don't know which one it is but you can push anyone that you want and just find out and what people end up doing over and over is hitting the button that mildly frustrates them right like that mild frustration or annoyance is what people hit over and over and over and over like you would think I'm hitting the orgasm button, right? Like mm. I'm sitting there and like boom, 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 like pleasure over and over. But it turns out that's not the most comfortable state. The most comfortable state for a lot of people is that low level, mild frustration. And evidently it was the same
1: for my dog. Have you seen, I'm sure you would have, when I say, have you seen, I'm sure you would have seen the first Matrix movie. Mm-hmm when one of the Smiths holds Morpheus captive and he was talking to them, how they originally built an architecture of the matrix. And he said, and we made it perfect and gave everybody what they wanted. And we realized that nobody was happy and everybody yeah. was miserable. So literally what they needed to see then in was a little bit of balance or misery in life. So people could get along and do what they needed to do. And I all, you know, I remember the first time I was sitting in a cinema And I heard that conversation and I thought, I wonder what the world would be if you gave everybody everything they wanted all the time. And I kind of get it that, you know, life just isn't about always pleasure. It has to be about the peaks and troughs of life. Even as an electrician, when you look at how, I mean, people might say, what about DC? But when you look at alternating current, it needs, you know, like the positive and negative sine wave in order to balance itself out. And it just, it seems to be the resonance of the universe and I'm not trying to get ethereal or spiritual again, like we sometimes tend to go down that rabbit hole, but it just Mm. seems like life really does depend on going through that positive negative cycle in order to play itself out and to balance itself out. And I have heard a lot of commenting and a lot of people that are cycling up about, you know, frustration and how it shouldn't be used in training. And I keep... Asking the question, why, you know, like, what is it about frustration that's bothering you so much? Like, have Mm. you been so frustrated through your life that you feel that it's really, it's a reflection on the things that are happening in your life? Like, what is it that's bothering you about it in training? Because I use frustration all the time, like mild doses of frustration when I'm doing shaping exercises and I'm ready to, you know, switch from continuous to intermittent. I use frustration in order to start breaking that positive cycle because otherwise I just can't get my dog locked out of the behavior. It just stays locked in behavior and it just sits in that cycle constantly. So I don't understand it and I'm trying to get, plausible reason from the people who are really outspoken about it but so far I haven't really found anything that's satisfying or that satisfies my need in it because it just it doesn't resonate with me the points that they're making so far. Some of the points that do make sense to me is when people are saying that it's excessive frustration. I get that But I mean, that goes with everything that we've been talking about on the show with excessive punishment or excessive reinforcement. Anytime you insert the word excess into a situation, you're always saying, well, no wonder.
0: Yeah. So I think that where frustration in training becomes an issue for people is that, you know, in the textbook, it says that frustration leads to aggression, Mm. right? And I think, and that's totally true in those higher doses and frustration to the point where you give up on the actual task and you then become like this pent up energy has to go somewhere and the task no longer becomes important but releasing you know if i realize that if i can't get the go-nut out from under the couch and i'm get so angry at it and i realize that there is no way for me to do that then i turn around and bite someone instead mm. right like that yeah. is what they're worried about in that terms of frustration and i think what happens is It just gets kind of lost in that literal sense where people go like there's a sliding scale to this and we need to understand that in order for any behavior to progress, there's got to be a point of frustration for the dog to try something new of course, or to get a version or something like that. But when you've been told no frustration is bad because it leads to aggression. It's like, well, that doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance there. Like, now we're just like, oh, okay, well, now I'm never allowed to frustrate the dog because that guarantees aggression. It's like, no, like, frustration has a lot of iterations it goes through before it becomes aggression Mm. right like it's going to prompt more of the same to begin with it then it's going to try something new then you know then there might be helplessness there there could be lots of different things that are going to happen as a result of frustration before it demonstrates as aggression and depending on the behavior depending on why there's frustration there's all those kinds of things i think that there's lots to discuss in it and there's lots of nuance that's just to say that you can't or shouldn't frustrate a dog is probably reductionist in a way that's not helpful to training or to outcomes for progressing with your dog. If you're only ever avoiding frustration, then you're looking to completely satiate the dog Mm. in every way, shape, and form. If you were to reduce frustration to nothing, if you go, okay, I'm never going to allow this dog to be frustrated, he can't be on lead, he can't really be held back from anything that he desires, no matter how dangerous that is for him. Uh, He can't be contained because you're going to get barrier of frustration you know so like to really truly be able to eliminate frustration altogether would be probably impossible and if made possible would be completely unhealthy right so it by saying you can't do it it doesn't leave any space for the places where you actually must and it's better that we understand the whole spectrum of it rather than just saying no like that can't happen
1: when you tell me that you can't use frustrating that frustrates me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that the funny thing about people right so you know i reckon that frustration certainly in working dogs we've selected for it dogs that enjoy that low level of frustration right mm. i think you know evolution we probably don't get to talk about that in the same terms of dogs because we have been manipulating their genes, right? There's not like there's no natural selection really in in dogs, working dogs, pet dogs, that kind of stuff. Street dogs, there is for sure, right? But in dogs that are going to be purpose bred, natural selection is out the window, and it's very artificial selection. We're selecting for the things that we want, and I think that in working dogs, we have whether we have ever said the words out loud or not, but we've bred dogs that enjoy exactly like people that low level of annoyance and it's, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but are most comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think people have been naturally selected to be like that. Like you could imagine the people that were, uh, you know, the early people like early humans that were successful and therefore passed on their genes were the kind of people that were, you know, constantly concerned about the saber tooth tiger. Right. That's the kind of example we sometimes use. We go, like, oh, yeah, you know, the reason you're arguing with people on social media is you're trying to fill that gap of, you know, running from the saber-toothed tiger. And I think sometimes that example gets kind of lost because you imagine, like, you front on to the saber-toothed tiger and you go, like, I would never choose that. Like, I'm not choosing to get in social media arguments. And that's not the same as me choosing, like, to face front on to the saber-toothed tiger. But it's not that, like, imminent danger that people are comfortable in it's that like hey did you hear about that guy tom that got eaten by that saber-toothed tiger it's like no i didn't hear about that oh but you could imagine if you did right right like it's that level of Mm. like maybe it could happen and so you know at night you those early people probably you know took precautions and they set up you know Whatever it was, they slept in a place that was safer than another place that would keep them safe from predators or whatever. And the truth is, what probably kept them safe from those predators was luck and chance. But then on the odd occasion that their predator did arrive, they had taken the precautions. So they were selected for it. the people who were like never content, that were always like, ah, there's more work to be done here, right? Like I'm not just going to sit down. I'm not going to relax. I'm like, there there could be more to do. We should be building a shelter. We should be gathering more food for the time when there isn't going to be food. We shouldn't just sit down and be happy with what we have. We should not necessarily always be striving for more, but we should be looking like, what more can we do? What can we do here? You know, how can we build better, whatever? They're the people, they're our ancestors that were selected, right? And so those people who are comfortable, not necessarily happy, but comfortable in that low level, mild frustration, oh, I've got to do something, right? Something i got to do here. I'm not, and ne- even though I have everything I need, I, I need to protect it or I need to build a little bit more, mm. that kind of thing. We were selected. That's how our ancestors turned us into this. And that's why, because there is no, like safe kind of threat that the saber-toothed tiger that's in the distance and we, you know, may or may not ever see it. I feel like that's why people argue online. <laughs> so then it's like, because <laughs> it's like, uh, you're on the other side of the country or you're on the other side of the planet you can't really cause me any problems, right? Like I can I can get into a little Facebook argument with you, but if I if it all becomes too much for me, I can shut that down. I can turn off Facebook. I can change my name. I'm doing it from an anonymous profile anyway. You know, all those kind of little things that is that mild annoyance, that that little niggling thing that would piss you off in the background. That's what we're hardwired to feel like. And I feel like a lot of the dogs that we enjoy training are the same. And so to deprive them of that frustration, I can tell you when, when I, when I handed him that gonut, when I got it from underneath the couch and handed it to him, it was punishment. Mm. Like it was devastating to him. He was like, I cannot believe. And, and you know, probably it fits perfectly within the definition of negative punishment. I took away The game that he had given himself of, I'm going to try and get this from underneath the couch, even though it's clear that I will not be able to, like, there's no way I can get under there without having to damage the couch or whatever, but I'm super comfortable trying. And when I handed it to him, it was clear he was devastated. He was like, I can't believe you took that from me. You took away that feeling that I wanted, that comfortable feeling of mild annoyance, frustration.
1: Mm. That is an extraordinary explanation, and I would probably <laughs> say that I would agree with it knowing Remy. Yeah, yeah. It was a it Yeah, but it really is. It, it's an interesting and it's a fascinating topic on the basis that when you listen to what people or what their explanation is of it, like I said before in jest, but I am in saying it seriously now, like it is frustrating itself to listen to other people try and talk about how frustration shouldn't be used and it isn't frustration it is either curiosity or motivation or arousal and again i think it's a lot of word play to disguise something that's real and evident and it seems maybe look maybe i'm missing the point when i'm watching dogs go through a process that maybe it isn't frustration i don't know because i can't actually have the conversation to the dog and say how do you feel right now and the dog goes i'm frustrated but I know for myself, you know, like I remember back in the days when the Rubik's Cube first came out. And yes, I'm really showing my age now, but I really yeah. I remember when that came out and I found that so frustrating, but it was also, it did arouse me and it did make me curious because I wanted to try and solve it. And it's all of the combination of all of those, like creating and and stirring around in my head that kept me going and kept me wanting to work it out. And I just could not put it down, you know, and neither could all the other kids during that time, you know, like everybody was saying, oh, I just feel like throwing it on the floor and smashing it. And I realize in when we're talking about the concept of training and you brought up this before where people are worried about too much frustration leaking into aggression. And I get that. I had that feeling the other day. Like I was, again, going through my journey of playing guitar And there are times where I just feel like smashing it because I feel like, you you know, it's upsetting me so much. But then I think that's really stupid because this is a bit of wood with strings on it and it's just me being bullheaded about it and pushing myself over threshold and, you know, where I really should have put it down where I had some old successes before. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a conversation I've been having with people online about all this is saying, why are you getting the dog over threshold and then worrying about the levels of frustration spearheading into aggression? Like that's something Mm -hmm. that, unfortunately you've had some control in or you know like not even being aware that it's happening and again push the dog over threshold so that could be the reason again I'm you know it's not a perfect world I'm not a fly on the wall during their training session so I don't know what's going on there I'm just listening to groups of people having conversations around this but wondering why words like frustration and arousal have suddenly peaked people's shit lists Yes, it is overused. Yes, they are buzzwords and they're words that people like to throw around in conversations and there are probably some times where it's been used inaccurately and it's not describing the feeling or the sensation or the image that the dog is portraying at the moment, even the person is portraying. I've seen people, you know, describing children as being frustrated and so forth and I, I see something different sometimes when I'm watching the way that they're interacting or behaving I do see sometimes where it's just curiosity or disappointment or something like that. And maybe all suddenly you'll see a flash of frustration where they're going, you know, this is shit. I can't work it out. Mm. Every single video game that PlayStation or Xbox puts out, how have we not seen children across the world becoming frustrated with that where they're throwing their, their controllers across the floor and so forth. But yet, you know, well, there is, (laughs) there is an argument for that too without, and, and again, I'm, I have no smarts in this field, but there is an argument of that, that that does, you know, all these video games do spearhead aggression levels and so forth in children because they are so frustrating and they fatigue themselves to points of levels. However, again, once again, we're talking about excess. We're not talking about normal levels. You know, we're not talking about it being a a healthy relationship with trying to problem solve. We're talking about it being allowed to go over threshold.
0: What do you think is the difference between frustration and curiosity? Like break those down. Give me an example where you think a dog really was curious and it was beneficial in the training and another where the dog really was frustrated and it was beneficial in the training.
1: That's a really good question. And to answer so it, on, both exist. I believe for sure both would exist, right? They, I, I think they have to exist in a separate space. And you know, to try and answer it on the spot with no prep time, I'd pretty much have to say <laughs> that I'd pretty much have to say that if I was looking at something like curiosity, curiosity would be, in my opinion, it would be something where you don't have much knowledge about it. It's something new and intriguing to you, but you haven't yet sort of started to work on the puzzle of trying to solve it. Whereas when you do work on the puzzle of trying to solve it and it's not going in the direction that you think it should be and you're feeling like your, your control mechanism is slipping. I think that's probably where you start experiencing your first feeling of frustration around it. Yeah. So I, I kind of feel frustration happens for me because I'm, I have to talk about my own experiences here in how I experience it because that's usually the world that I view and I pass it on to other species when I'm watching them work. And my yeah. view of it is when I feel like my control is slipping and I don't understand what needs to happen next. And I feel like I'm I'm losing the integrity of whatever it is I'm trying to do. And this is why, you know, like I talk about guitar a lot at the moment because that's something new in my world. And I find that very soothing, but also super frustrating at times to the point where I have to speak to other people about it to say, how do I get past this frustration to the point where it doesn't become something, another thing that I just put in the garage and forget, you know, and there are, you know, like there are great people out there saying I'd had that point once before as well and, you Literally they're, you know, I'm I'm describing my own problem is I'm working myself over threshold. So they're basically saying, scale it back, go slower, approach it from a different angle, chunk it into workable environments where you can basically say, okay, you know, like I've been doing 20 minutes, but I should have just done five minutes and I should have done it where, yes, I'm pushing myself, but not to a point of fatigue and frustration. Mm. Because yeah, when I can't get my fingers right on the strings and- Instead of just enjoying it and thinking, I'll just work past this for now, I just think, oh, you suck and I hate it. And, you know, like and this, it sounds horrible and you focus on the negative rather than the positive side of it. So I've tried not to do that so much at the moment where I think, okay, I've got a problem, here it comes. And I work on it a little bit and I think, okay, it's still too much. I'm still pushing too far into doing something that I'm clearly not capable of now or trying to go too fast with it. So what I then do is think, how can I thin it down even more where I can still gain from it, but not lose anything from it. And then I do a bit and I think, all right, I'm putting it down. And I just I put it back on the on the case and then I just walk away from it. And then I think that's it. That's all I need to do. And primarily, and and funnily enough, that's a lot of things that, you know, over the years I've had to learn to do with the dog training as well. And I know you probably your own experiences in that. And a lot of people who are, you know, working through. Problem solving and mastery in their own fields. Of that, it's literally saying: once you get to a point where you're reaching a mild level of success, you just have to rest there and say, "That was good enough for that session right now. I can work on something else, but I don't have to work any more on that. We can we can leave that. Like that can be as complete as it needs to be today, because then you're not going to breach anything at that point.
0: Mm. I think you know, listening to your talk and kind of swinging it around in my head. I think that using curiosity as a motivator is kind of a low stakes kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that when you're curious, or if you can prompt the dog to be curious about a behavior, then when they perform it, they're going to be like, you know, not hesitant, but they're going to sort of not worry too much about whether they achieve it or not, right? Mm. And I think that people who would say, you know, like, because there's people that do this and and we should acknowledge them that like, they really, I've been told frustrations bag, I never want to frustrate my dog. I acknowledge that. Uh, in order to prompt next behaviors, I'm going to have to find a motivator for my dog to bring that on. And if I'm not going to lure, like if it's not something I'm able to do right here in front of me, the dog has to be intrinsically motivated for something. And I want that. I want that motivation to be curiosity. If you're that person, then I think you're going to end up with pretty unmotivated behaviors. You know, I think that the the dog's behaviors, like when he's being curious, is going to be like, oh, I kind of. Could take it or leave it like for me that's how curiosity kind of feels like mm. oh that, that's something i want to look into but if i can't i don't mind but i think curiosity can then become like the next step probably is frustration mm. so you'd be like oh i'm interested in that i wonder how it'll go it's not going well Fucking why not i need to work harder at this better right and mm. i think that then like, so curiosity, maybe is step one, maybe like in becoming frustrated, you'd be like, Hey, I'm going to try something new and see what this brings. It didn't have the effect that I thought that's learning, right? Like that's how learning happens. When you try something, it doesn't have the effect that you thought it would. And then that is probably, you know, step two. And that's where you step out of curiosity and towards frustration. And then step three would be You know like i now i'm i'm committing to trying harder and that's still frustration step four is then like now i'm angry right and then i'm gonna redirect and go wherever right like that's you know how i kind of am picturing it in my head and i can't think of a behavior except maybe you know like if you're free shaping in the really early stages of free shaping your dog maybe we could call a dog curious at that point like if we're using going to a marker board you could say at this point, my dog is just curious because I've put the, a novel thing into a new environment and he's approached it out of straight curiosity. And then once he goes to that marker board, curiosity got in there, we reinforce him and now he goes, okay, this is the behavior. Now I want him to do something specific on that marker board. If I've built him going to it in order to try something else, I'm going to, tap into frustration at that point, right? So I feel like curiosity, while it probably really does exist in training and we can acknowledge like, yep, you can train a dog as curiosity as his motivator rather than frustration, I think that it has you know, pretty early limitations. I think that you're gonna hit a point pretty early where novelty is gone, the dog's no longer curious, and if you don't dip into that frustration, you're just gonna get a dog that quits, right? And I think in all these kinds of things like, yeah, you know, the way we would want to train dogs, I'm totally fine with frustrating them to a point. And when we deal in working dogs, especially dogs that we want to make aggressive or we're, you know, working for sport or police work, that kind of stuff is we are pushing to the very limit of frustration. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like we'll, you know, like, that's the point of the whip in bite sports and all that kind of stuff is like, and we'll say like, light that dog up, right? Mm. Like get him right to the peak because we want him to get so frustrated that he barks, which is, you know, in, in human terms of like, I want to make you so mad you scream, right? Like it's that kind of thing. I want to piss you off so much that you vocalize mm. that you are like, what the fuck? And then that's the, That's the, that's what I wanted, right? Like that's pushing to it. So we never want to get it to the point of redirection. Like, obviously there's a limit for us where we go, okay, that's too much frustration. And that's no, we've lost clarity. We're no longer working towards the behavior that we wanted, but for sure, we have to use frustration to prompt the next thing. And I think that curiosity can only bring us to that initial stages. Anything that's novel, I think a dog can be curious about and therefore approach and we can go, Hey, that's correct. Here's your markers. You know, here's your payment for having approached that. But then when the dog approaches it a few more times and goes, okay, I'm at it. I've interacted with it in every way I can think of, you know, I've interacted with this marker board, for example, in every way that I can think of that is obvious to me, right? And you are no longer reinforcing me. Now I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to through frustration, try something new that is not obvious to me, or else I would have done it out of curiosity, then get reinforced and we progress behaviors that way. So we're, we're probably then you know, feathering. Good training is maybe if we're going to play the wordplay game, maybe good training is feathering between like curiosity and frustration. And we're kind of flipping in between those two things pretty regularly.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I like that explanation. And I would subscribe to that because I feel that that summarizes it nicely. When we start to talk about how aggression seeds into it, I think, you know, listening to the conversation that we had with Michael Shikashio and other people that have been on the show before, and even my own thoughts around this, is I feel that sometimes when you talk about the aspect of control, because I like to think about things in my own life in aspects of control. And when I feel like that's going well for me and everything, I understand what's happening, and I have, and even if I'm sort of dipping out of that a little bit, I can still bring it back in and I still feel safe and I still feel things are going really well for me. But I feel like when things go out of my control, that's when, you know, you start feeling sensations of anxiety, you start feeling sensations of disappointment, you start feeling sensations of anger and high level of. Well, when you start to feel that, you know, like aggressive tendencies start to surface because you are out of control. And I kind of look at it in that same aspect. And yeah, I can understand that from any pet dog owner or pet dog trainer or working dog owner or trainer that they're red flags for us. They're areas that we really don't want to get involved in. However, I do really feel that mild frustration or even medium levels of frustration are beneficial in what we're doing. You know, you just did a nice explanation of it. I agree with what you were saying. I've heard other people talking on it and I agree with what they're saying too because they're they're just saying I can't imagine a world where frustration isn't a part of successful training and nor can I. Like I said before in pun and I'm saying it again – That's frustrating to me to hear those sort of conversations because I'm thinking the person who's raising these concerns, what's their motivation behind it? Like, what is it?
0: Well, you know, I think that if you don't desire anything, you're unlikely to be frustrated by anything, Mm. right? Because, you know, frustration probably stems from inability to fulfill your desire, right? I'm not able to do what I want to do. And so for people who just have a flat dog, right now it's whether it's been flattened or is just genetically flat, like it just doesn't have a lot of drive at all. You could genuinely say like, I have no cause to frustrate my dog and nor do I think you should either. How dare you with your high drive working line, German shepherd, frustrate your dog <laughs> when my, my fat Labrador is on the couch over there and he's never been frustrated a day in his life, but he doesn't want for anything either. Right? so like i feel like that probably plays a part in it yeah and i think that nowadays it can be really difficult for people like a lot of people to understand that that's not what everybody wants right like that sort of couch potato dog that doesn't do anything and can just be you know manhandled and cuddled and whatever like to a lot of people that's the dream mm. and to other people that's the nightmare right and so like if that's the dream to you and that's all you want. You've never see your dog. He never wants for anything. You you free feed him, right? He's got his bowl of food on the floor there. You, he could be, you know, you take him, you've got a big yard that you, he can go out into as often as he wants. He never goes for a walk. He just sort of chills out in the house. He eats as much as he wants and he wanders around. Now you and I would probably look at that dog and go, this motherfucker's is depressed, right? Like, but, but, a lot of other people will look at that and go like, oh, he wants for nothing, right? He's never been frustrated, right? Like, why would, you know, why would I do that? He's totally satiated here and he can't do anything, but he also – nothing's required of him. So all good in the hood.
1: Getting back to humankind, when you look at some of the greatest works of art, songs, breakthroughs in science, I would dare say that they were on the cusp of frustration, Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Mm. I've read papers where people have talked about breakthroughs in science and they were literally saying the words, I was frustrated and then suddenly the answer came to me. And I think the frustration forced them to look into different areas, things that they hadn't considered before. You know, instead of becoming two-dimensional, they were starting to think, you know, I really need to layer another dimension of thinking into this because I'm doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's just not working out. What's the movie they made about Mark Zuckerberg? The Social Network. The Social Network. I don't know how much truth there is in in that, but it was frustration from being rejected that made him create Facebook, you know, something Mm. which was evolutionary in social media for its time. And, Mm. you know, that might be a false story, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, there is a lot of truth in it. But there are other things like that which, you know, where frustration has played a very, very important role in incredible breakthroughs. And that's why I'm saying when I've watched dogs doing successful shaping sessions and I've seen, you know, the the levels of frustration in the dog, even something as simple as let's talk luring for argument's sake where somebody is trying to bring a dog from a sit to a down position and they've simply brought the food down with the lure in their hand, they've kept the arousal level there to go for the food. And the dog suddenly, you know, like it's licking it at one direction, licking another direction, won't go in the down. But after about two or three minutes, it's just so frustrated with this not working out and its neck being cropped at a difficult level. And then finally it's gone, this is super frustrating and it lies down and bingo, it, it results in being rewarded for it. Like something so simple like that, just such a simple gesture and such a simple exercise through frustration, the dog learns to be rewarded. And I'm thinking, would you call that frustration, or would you not call that frustration the behaviour of the dog going through that problem solving, or would you just call it problem solving?
0: Yeah, well, that's the issue, right? It's wordplay, um, and yeah. I, but I think that that's there has to be an element of frustration in that. If you try one thing and then you try another, you, you have like it's frustration that prompts mm. you to do that. I think that that's a fair thing to say. If you try one thing, it's not successful, the desire to try it again in a different way or whatever else. Like I think that's frustration, and and I just think that there's a sweet spot for it in training. Like that's kind of what I wanted to get across in this is that I don't think that you can successfully train a dog to do anything without tapping into that frustration level like maybe like i say you can hit curiosity to a point where you bring on a certain investigation of something and you know and maybe you can get the dog to do that reliably but to turn that into a behavior that you would actually use you know like you know no matter what it's going to be whether it's going to be a working dog or a pet dog or or, you know you're fixing an issue or whatever it's not going to be overly you know you're not you're not going to impress anyone staying out of frustration you're not you're not going to achieve any decent outcomes by curiosity alone and I think that feathering the amount of frustration that you allow into your training and doing so with intention to allow for the outcome that you want right Mm. because they're sure like I have overly frustrated dogs in the past by accident and then you get these like frustration related behaviors right or what you know sometimes i would refer to those as extinction related behaviors and extinction you know that extinction burst is frustration that would bring that on right like that would be an extinction burst i think would you know be fair to say that that is a moment of frustration where mm. you're like i'm going to try the same thing but harder right or faster or you know any more reps or whatever it is and i think that there's a level that's going to be helpful in maintaining that. Like, you know, it's an example I always use and it's because I regret doing it so much is that, you know, Remy for a long time barked in the stand and it was because I frustrated him into that stand and the behavior that I wanted to happen, happened, but also there was a, a bit of a side effect behavior that was frustration because he's a noisy dog and so the, the frustration bark comes very quickly for him right and so when he offered the change of behavior which was what i wanted it accompanied a bark i marked and he was so in tune at that point to shaping because i had done so much of it that he was like oh well that's it like i know exactly what you want now you want me to kick my back feet out and bark at the same time and he became really convinced of that and because he enjoys to bark as well that was probably a big contributing factor to how hard it was to get rid of but it took me a long time and a lot of different You know, I tried to trial a lot of different things and that behavior came and went a few times as well. Like I, I got rid of it via incompatible behaviors for a little while, but then the moment that he felt the same way, like, so like for a while I had to, I had him hold a pipe because you can't hold a pipe and bark at the same time. Right. Mm. My hope was that he would then let go of the bark and just go like, oh, well I can't do it. It was a superstitious behavior. I was still able to be reinforced for the stand absent the bark and it would go away. And it, it did it crept back in right mm. it came like it slowly came back and so it's been a hell of a journey actually trying to get rid of that damn the bark in the stand and in the end it ended up coming about well it's a work in progress right like nothing's ever perfect but for sure i tipped too much into frustration at that point right and because he's a dog that easily frustrates right so i think that choosing that level of frustration knowing the outcome that you want to get from it and you know only allowing the dog to dip into the level that is going to be useful in the training is probably an important consideration whenever you're training anything that's going to be successive approximations right Mm -hmm. like if you're going to have to go here's the first bit then the next bit then the next bit then that's definitely like the level of arousal and frustration is going to have to be at the forefront of your mind during that time and thinking like how much of this is useful versus when am i going to lose the dog to either you know he's going to hit that rage point too hard and you know be no longer in the perfect mindset for learning would be the first issue i think the second issue would probably be am i going to get some sort of leaky behaviors am i going to get behaviors that are? yeah we might still make progression training but the behaviors are going to be a version that i don't like or they're going to have some sort of extra bolt on that's going to be frustration related like barking and then the next would be like you know am i concerned about dipping this into aggression maybe that's exactly what i want maybe i'm doing that on purpose even when we're doing that we then have to be careful of like Yes, I'm making my dog aggressive in this point, if that's my intention via frustration, but where is that aggression being pointed? Because sometimes we do it like at the toy. I want the aggression into the toy. Sometimes I want it into the helper. Sometimes I want it into, it could be an inanimate bloody ball dropper or something like that. And building that sort of frustration to the point where the dog is going like, you know, what looks like defensive, aggressive barking, that kind of thing can come. But then noting like, you're not far from redirection at that point right? Like, so then that's where it we go, okay, we can't just say, oh, it's totally fine to frustrate the hell out of a dog. In fact, I do it on purpose. It's like, yeah, that's true. But there's an upper limit of usability. Even if you are intentionally making the dog aggressive, there's a point where maybe he turns around and bites his handler through frustration Mm. and every threshold for that is going to be different. So that's something to be aware of as well.
1: Well said. Some of the key words there is excessive and proportionate. Like I often think about conversations like this, especially when you're starting to talking about aggression, leaking into things. When I was buying into a security company and I had to do a lot of training in using firearms and so forth, they used to talk about the use of force continuum quite a lot. And there was a lot of words in there all the time of not disproportionate because effectively what they were trying to train security guards was You can use force against somebody to stop an offence, but you can't be disproportionate in the amount of force you use because then you cross the threshold between being a law enforcer and a criminal. It's the same thing when we're talking about anything like this. You know, We're talking about excess and proportion or being proportionate. I think that a lot of the conversations that we've been having with people or a lot of the concerns that people should be having and even part of this episode should be frustration's going to happen and we're going to get frustrated and the dog's going to get frustrated. But, you know, it's often when I've heard you say it, I've said it, I've heard trainers across the world saying it. When you are becoming frustrated with your dog, put your dog away. Don't continue on into the lesson. Don't get to the stage where you and the dog are hitting a crossroad where you're thinking, I really don't like you today. You know and then you do something regrettable next because you've become disproportionate and you are out of control
0: i would add to that though Mm. you know because then we're it's interesting the language you use right because we've just been talking about you know use frustration like use frustration in training use the correct amount and then when we talk about how when we're training the dog if you get frustrated stop the session Mm. so the argument that is like oh, well, frustration's bad, right? Because if you get frustrated, you're saying stop the session. And I would say there's levels of usability within our own frustration within that session, right? So like, you know, maybe even the reason that we even started the session was because of frustration.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. And I I agree with that. It's good that we're having this conversation because you're right, if you left it like that, it would sound like, oh, I'm frustrated. It's the end of the session because I'm feeling a level of frustration. But I think, again, it's talking about proportionate frustration. You know, like there are times where you're frustrated, but if you can feel yourself getting really mad about it, like, again, you're out of control and you're not being proportionate to the amount of frustration you're feeling. If I feel frustration, it's not the end of the session. But if I feel like anger is coming out of it, You know, like then again, that's a different type of frustration that's leading, but that's not just frustration. That's me leaving, being frustrated and then me becoming aggressive or me becoming angry. So I'm feeling something else through frustration because I've, I've left control of the frustration. Like, my levels of understanding of what I needed to do at the time, like I was explaining before, like I don't have many options left. And the options that I've, my brain probably is my go-to point is I don't know how to control it. I'm out of control. And now the options that my brain believes is left is to get angry and start becoming physical or violent or even verbal about it to try and express or to try and alleviate The way that i'm feeling and i don't know how to deal with that feeling at the point in time so Mm. you know maybe dogs get in that as well and that's maybe what is frightening people is leaving frustration and and leaning into a complete different emotion altogether
0: yeah and i think that's you know like in yourself that's a pretty easy thing to sort of diagnose like you feel that you feel it literally Mm. in your body and you feel that tenseness come over you and certainly i've been training dogs and found that i'm fucking gritting my teeth while i'm doing
1: it i just saw you doing it then you're like expressing it like i I was watching you do it with your facial features you could actually feel those feelings right then yeah i'm remembering it you know what i mean
0: and usually it is exactly when the session's not going the way that you thought it was going to go especially you know this might be one that you you know like i face as a decoy when you are not a dog's not gripping correctly and Mm. you're like man this works on six dogs beforehand. Why isn't it working on you? And you, you set the dog up to counter the way that you think he's going to go and it doesn't happen. And then you can see like, uh, like that. It's that uncomfortable feeling that comes over you. And for me, I think that this is, I guess, the difference between like humans and other animals is that when you identify that, like that's what we have is that mechanism to go like, hang on, hang on. This is getting into the point of being not helpful. Yep. And I need to. I need to slow down here and come up with like identify why i'm feeling frustrated because what i'm trying to do is not working it's not going the way that i planned for it's not going the way that i wanted to and i need to change my tact because that frustration has driven me to the point where i'm going to try harder but trying more of the same shit over and over is probably not helpful and so that's exactly as you say earlier like that's the time to either stop the session or, like, certainly stop what you're doing in that moment. Because if it's frustrating you, surely that's going into the dog as well. Because, whatever, like, it's going to go down the line. Like, I, I feel yeah. like I can't think of a single circumstance where I've seen a handler or a trainer that's really frustrated with a dog and the dog's having a wonderful time. Like,
1: I can't think of where those two things align. I think you're just running out of your helpful resources at that point in time. And that's the point where it does become a red line issue for a lot of people is that your frustration is making you think around for, you know, like, I don't know what to do here. Let me think on this for a little bit of time and scatter around into a few different fragmented thoughts and see if I can find something that is comprehensible at this point in time or something that, you know, like I haven't thought of that I could reach into and that's when it leads you out of frustration and think, oh, cool, I've got a solution to this or something that I wasn't really thinking of or wasn't clear on but now it's presented itself and now you leave the point of frustration and now you're in a new point of discovery. Whereas if that window or door is not open to you thinking, fuck, this this is just shit, I'm getting more and more agitated, there's so many mixed emotions that are coming into it because, again, you're out of control. Like you just don't have anything helpful to reach into. There's nothing that's presenting itself. That's when it's not a good situation. Mm.
0: You know, I like to think of the circumstances that break the rules of what we're saying. Yep. So, you know, talking about like never let the dog cook off and get overly frustrated. I can think of times where maybe I would allow that. Like if the dog's not open to taking any direction, like if the dog's so committed to whatever it is that, you know, you're trying to, that is not the thing right? So we might do this, say like in protection work, or it might be like a over aroused dog chasing a bike or, you know, whatever it is where the arousal level is so high and the frustration from not being able to get it is kind of immediate that we can't work within a safe level. And at that point, maybe I would, you know, say isolate the dog and back tie it or whatever, so that that any redirected aggression can't go into anything and can't be successful is Mm. basically the thing and i would let the dog go through that and cook off right and then eventually become helpless you know for lack of a better term it's the that's the right term and then when they are helpless they look for help right and then like i have tried the thing i've been wanting to do i've been trying over and over and over and over and over i've gone through i've tried as hard as i can Uh, it's made me aggressive i've offered every behavior i can think of i've barked if someone was in striking range or that thing was in striking range or would have bit it, I give up, right? And then the dog looks to the handler and is like, what will get me out of this situation, right? And we sometimes see, you know, like, because there's, there's times we do that. Like, you know, I do that with my kid when when we're bloody reading, like, and he he gets stuck in a loop over things and doesn't want to listen to me. Or, or even when he's coloring in, there's times where it's like, I'll let him wreck it so that he can then look and go like, "Fucking start again. You know what i mean like there's times where i think that that's something i enjoy to do is when we think when we go like oh you shouldn't do this then kind of think pretty hard about it and go like when would i do that though because there probably is a time because it's you know with the some of the extreme dogs that we face like almost nothing is off the table at times right like it's like you know what is the bizarre circumstance i can paint like what is the peculiar picture i can paint where i go yeah that thing that i just said never do that is the best thing to do and i think that like there, there are circumstances especially in those super highly aroused dogs where we let them go all the way through their maximum level of frustration don't allow any of those things to be successful and then you know when they give up then you go like hey here's the behavior that will allow you to be successful i suppose in a form that would be a form of flooding depending on what the outcomes were and what the behavior was we were working on and that kind of stuff
1: mm. i don't know why it just kept coming into my mind when you were talking about all those concepts, it it was the Morticia Adams quote, what's normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. And I think Mm -hmm. about that in some of the dog training events is that there are rules where you just say, I would never do that with this dog. And then you look at another dog that comes in and you think, but I'd do it for you. Yeah. There are times where you would say, you know, you do need to go through a frustration loop and you need to spin out a little bit to realize that, none of this is ever going to be reinforced and we have to reinvent a whole new behavioral platform for you because this just has to stop. And this has to be the sessions sessions where you start learning that this is not the way to do it anymore.
0: Yeah. You know, the rhetoric that we have in dog training is always lower the arousal, right? Like Mm. find a lower state of arousal that you can work in. That's cool. Like I'm down for that, except sometimes a dogs go from zero to hero right? yes. like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there is no like oh we'll just go for level one like the dog goes for level zero to level 100 mm. and like there's no middle ground in between and so that's where you go like all right man like you're not open to any inputs to me or and and anything that i do to you to change your mind about this would be unethical so I'm just going to let you ride this out and you will mm. give up eventually, right? And it, whether that's because you get tired and have to like fall asleep, like it will happen eventually. Now that's not good. That's not ideal. That That's definitely not what I would encourage anyone to do. But some dogs are like that. I was talking about it recently. I can't remember who I was talking to recently where I was late for something and I said, oh, you know, I, I apologize. I, I got locked in a battle with a dog and people were like, oh yeah, got to put the hurts on the dog. I was like no, I was just waiting. I was literally just out waiting a dog. It was a pretty like extreme aggression case, mm. and it went over threshold. And we we're like, well, you can't be successful, so you just got to. You can bark all you want but I ain't going anywhere and I ain't approaching, like I'm not going to make this any worse for you, but I'm not going to let you find success in that barking. So I'm literally texting my next appointment saying like, hey, I'm, I'm late because I'm, I'm stuck in a battle with a dog. It's not like a physical battle, but it's a battle of like, I can't allow this to, like this situation is going to go longer than I intended to, right? And I guess on that day I probably frustrated the hell out of that.
1: <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed hearing you say, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, because I probably I'm gonna bastardize what you did say. But one of the things that I've interpreted that I really like that you say is when people talk about, you know, not using certain types of equipment and it should be not used or whatever they do say, and you turn around and say, well, you shouldn't use it for that very reason. Like you're the person that shouldn't use it because you'll misuse it you know and that's yeah. the same thing when i'm thinking about this topic when i'm thinking about people who don't like using frustration in training or any other of these outliers that they're they're getting concerned about is Maybe they shouldn't use it. Maybe they don't know enough about it. And maybe we don't know enough about it. Maybe there's somebody out there who's listening to this going, this is very frustrating. <laughs> These idiots, that don't know what they're think, talking about. Yeah. Well, the good thing is if there is somebody who's out there listening to this and they do have a better insight on it, you know, we never got into this conversation to profess that we're the be-all and know-alls of frustration training. We're curious about it or I'm curious about it. I'm curious as to – how we've arrived at this being such a hot topic in a lot of conversations that are going around social media at the moment, that and arousal. Arousal is really like one that people are flaming up about a lot at the moment. Like what is it that's creating, if there's anyone who wants to come on the show and talk about these subject matters and they've got some, you know, well researched documentation about it and they would like to be a part of that discussion, I'd love to talk to you.
0: Arousal is definitely a hot topic that's kind of I see a lot of conversations happening around that. And I agree with, you know, almost all of it. It's like you say, I think that one thing I think that we're coming to acknowledge a little bit is that a lot of people train dogs within a closed system. Mm. And so when they speak in absolutes, they're quite right within their closed system. Right. And so when I say you should never do that. Well, that's right. Because of the other things you do, that means that you should never do that thing because that doesn't fit within that system. But if you didn't do those things, then maybe that thing you say you should never do becomes a really necessary part of somebody else's closed system. Mm. You know, I'm trying really hard not to to have any closed systems, be like open to it all. But then we always have to acknowledge like, you know, a strength creates a weakness, right? So we go like, all right, like I do this one thing with dogs. I, I do frustrate dogs every now and again. And so I need to be aware of the fact that I could push them into an excessive level of frustration by accident. And if I do that, I need to have a plan on how I can reduce that, right? So it's like, you know, it's a, a nuance. you got to, like, it's it's not black and white. There's lots and lots of shades of grey.
1: I think that's probably a good place to leave it, mate. It, it's been a pretty intense conversation.
0: Yeah, for a couple of dickheads looking at each other on screens from opposite yeah. sides of Sydney late on a Friday night. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it, guys. For another episode of the Canine Paradigm. We haven't done one
1: like this, you and I, separately in a long, long time. It's probably been a good year. Yeah. I think the last time we did this was when we sort of had a temporary lockdown and we sort of had to, you came out here to do an episode and we thought there was a COVID case maybe here and we weren't willing to take the risk. And uh, (laughs) you literally, (laughs) you drove in and drove drove out.
0: yeah. and we spoke to each other because I was so scared, or well, not scared, but we just didn't even wind the window down on the car. We were talking to each other on the phone from two <laughs> meters away because that was like where if you got corona, you're going to die. You both your legs were going to fall off yep. instantly, and then you're going to die over a slow two week period. Like that's what everyone thought at the time,
1: right? Yep. So and then there's like- a little hunchback man ringing a bell, yelling out, "Bring out your dead!" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> 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 oh, a pair of dickheads. Mm.
0: All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is jump into Patreon. I am in a pickle of a jam with Patreon, right? So here's the deal. I put out this month's content, right? And... Then a couple of days later, with all this e-collar stuff, I made a video for Patreon. And I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it forward from next month and that's gonna buy me some time, right? And then to make this bigger thing that I want to make. I'm about to talk about that. But then that second video got by accident, it's no one's fault. It was just a misunderstanding, got shared publicly. And it's it ran away, and in the end, I ended up making the video a public video on YouTube because it just I, it got two thousand views in overnight, and I was like, oh well, I've lost control of this, right? So like, I've I've made it public, and my true motivation, if I'm honest, is because I wanted the watch hours to count towards my YouTube monetization because <laughs> I was watching it just skyrocket, and they don't count if it's a, a private video or an unlisted video. Good news, everyone! I hit that milestone yesterday so stand by there's gonna be ads on all your videos um but with patreon i'll put it in the patreon i'll talk to people directly but i have a four-part series that i want to make but it's going to take time to make and so i i need to talk to you guys about my deadlines right like because i don't want to make a subpar thing to get it out on the deadline time but anyway that'll happen in patreon there's a lot of really cool content in there Like it's actually crazy to think that you could sign up today for three bucks and get years of content backlog, right? Like there's a lot, a lot, a lot of information in there. If they're in Uh, the $3 tier. Yeah. Well, and then you could go to the $10 tier and you got even more or the 20, even more, right? But you you, like joining today, you get access to all the backlog of everything that's ever been put. Yep. For years. Um, Anyway, so there's some cool stuff coming out with that. You guys will see it soon. And Teespring, if you want to buy, sell some cool Canine Paradigm merch, you could do that through Teespring. That's always a big help. Rep our brand. We get a few bucks per t-shirt. So that's awesome for us. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into our Facebook group. It's no arguing group. Don't be a jerk to anybody in there. Have a wonderful time. Ask your questions. And if you want to
1: shoot us an email, we are info at thecanineparadigm.com. Yeah, we probably should have called the Canine Paradigm discussion group, the Canine Paradigm ELE group. Everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. Can you change the name of a group? We might just get a banner and we might get Avery or Zoe or someone to make us a t-shirt for Teespring to say the Canine Paradigm ELE. Everybody love everybody. Yep. Music. Music. Yay.